You're listening to Sourced with Stu Finer. Ready to roll! Podcast number 17! Stu Nation! And honor you're listening to me! Let's fucking go! So, have not spoken to you in several weeks. My life, as always, is amazing. Hope yours is too. And celebrated my father's 81st birthday, which my mom's been dead since 2003. Brother, 2006. So all I have left is my father. Obviously, my grandparents are dead. Great-grandparents are dead. Great-great-grandparents are dead. My father got in fights pretty much with both sides of the family, as I've stated in other podcasts. So if you follow me, you know that. If you don't follow me, and you have it up to this point. So aunts and uncles, really, we were never, ever close with. Started, let's say, at Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Hanukkah, meals, breaking of the fast, Passover. My father would get in fights with someone. It would be total blowouts, and that would be the end of those Cousins, aunts, uncles, blah, blah. So I've had a very small core family. I have a ton of friends and extended family, and I have a large family from my wife's side with Sandy. But me, all I got is my fucking father. All I got is the godfather. And, you know, he could die any moment, any day, any week, any month, any year. Or he could live for 20 more years. Uh, Pop got diabetes in his early 40s, was like 265, obese, ate like an animal. Basically, you know, worked in the city, took the train into the city, uh, drove sometimes into the city when I was young, and specifically fourth grade through, let's say, 11th grade. And would eat a basic breakfast on the go and then get lunch on the go and then come home and my mother would cook for me and my brother and my father, you know, like there's 20 fucking people. Like my mother was absolutely a compulsive overeater uh, times 10. You know, she got to be like 250. She'd lose it. She got it. She gained it. She lost it. She was a heavy woman. So pop, Mid-40s, early 40s, got diabetes, put down fucking everything. Went from 265 immediately to 200. And then, over the years, went from 200, anyways, right now, a buck 40. And he did a lot of walking. He was a walker. He did a lot of walking. And when he went to the gym, you know, he never hit the weights hard, but he did hit them light, and he did hit them consistently for a lot of years. So, 
At 81 right now, he is in great shape, but fucking 81's 81. You know, he's got problems with other things going on that any 81-year-old has. And uh, because he's thin as a rail, and he's muscular thin, and uh, he's shrunk, used to be, let's say, 5'8 and a half, and I would say now he's closer to my size, which is like 5'5. Five, five. And anytime he does get sick, he recovers so beautifully because the fucking guy is thin. The key to life is eating right. That's the key to the whole life. Everything, physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, everything is how you eat. So my father, early mid 40s, has eight since then. Once he got the diabetes, put down fucking four packs of Vantage cigarettes, drinking like 30 tabs, the diet soda tab. T-A-B, tab, loved it, fucking loved it, and ate like a horse, you know, since early mid-40s, he's fucking eating clean, squeaky clean, he eats clean, he eats small portions, not that he can't eat like a horse, but he doesn't, and pretty much water, and that's what he lives on, so Celebrate 81 years with my pop is a blessing, is a fucking amazing. You know, like I said, I got no mom, I got no brother. Of course, I have my wife and my kids and my wife's side of the family, which is amazing. But, you know, my core family, you know, all I got is my father. And he's had an amazing fucking life. 14 years old, his father dies. And he has a younger and older siblings, older sister, younger brother, he's in the middle. His mother, my grandmother, did not have a lot of money. My grandfather owned a deli. Obviously, I never met him. And he died. And then my father had to go to work to help out the family. And my grandmother always was jammed up for money. And his sister, as he tells me, aspired to some big things and his younger brother too. And he feels the reason was he had to give up a lot of his life to work his balls off because he's the middle child and the baby's the baby and, you know, the daughter's the princess. His sister was the princess. So, you know, he it became uh, hard for him. He felt, you know, I feel it now when he talks about it, like he got fucked. Like, you know, everybody should have fucking worked. He was the only one who stepped up. And then he was out of the house when he was 16, as he tells me. So he moves out of his parents' house, well, really his mother's house, and the bro and he leaves his younger brother and older sister in the house, moves out at 16, and fucking goes. Did two tours in Germany. He had he enlisted. First tour in Germany, he went when he got engaged to my mother. And then second tour in Germany, he had to go back after he got married. So that changes your life a little bit. And then when he came back, he had me and then he had my brother. I was born in 1961. My brother was born in 1962. And my father made letters. And the place he worked for at the beginning was called Letterama. 
and they'd make letters and they'd physically hang signs all over the place. And my father's two main accounts that I used to go with him to work was HBO and Madison Square Garden. And we used to hang the letters on all these fucking doors, HBO, HBO, HBO. And on prior podcasts and on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, I've spoken about it where I used to have to screw the letters in and I'd break the fucking letters. I'd screw too hard because I'm incompetent when it comes to anything like that. I can't fix shit. I could fuck up a lot of things, but I can't put together anything. I can't fix anything. I can fuck eat ass liquid, but I cannot fix a fucking thing. I'm like tits on a bull. Thank God my wife can do anything and everything. Her father was an auto mechanic and taught her how to do a fucking tune-up. She could do anything. She really can. So thank God for that. So my father works for a place called Letterama, makes fucking letters. And that's basically how he started his life and earned money. We moved from Brooklyn to Long Island in 1970, right after the Mets won the World Series, right after the Jets won the Super Bowl, right after the Knicks won the championship. And could you imagine to be alive in 1969 rocking and rolling? Mets, Jets, Knicks. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. What a time to be a New Yorker. And as we know, the Jets have never won shit since. Knicks won in 73 and then haven't won since. It's been a long haul. So my pop and me are tight, obviously. And, you know, do we speak every day? Of course. Do we speak about everything? Of course. He's my father. And how many people do you really fucking trust? Like, the way I work is I trust you a hundred percent or I don't trust you at all. And I could allow you to do things for me, really important things, but I don't ever, ever, ever have to trust you. Obviously, I trust my father. Obviously, my father has taught me in a convoluted, psycho way to trust nobody, to trust no one. So trust is a very powerful word. You know, when you use the word trust, you know, you really, you might say it, but do you really mean it? And if you mean it, you can't take it lightly. Certain people you trust, certain people you'll never trust. Most people you don't deserve your trust because they have their own agenda and they're looking to fuck you over. But my father is so big on trust. Like, we went out to dinner for his birthday, 81st birthday. We go to Puccinella, which is the restaurant that I fancy, the best restaurant in the fucking world, the restaurant I swear by. I love this fucking place. When I'm going to die, I'm going to eat there morning, noon, and fucking night, and I'm probably going to die in their kitchen. I mean, the food's that fucking good. It really is. So my father is talking to everybody in the place, like the fucking mayor. It's his fucking birthday, and, you know, he brought up, you know, of course, you know, when you're 81, you recap your life. He spoke about my brother dying, spoke about my mother dying, spoke about his life, his father dying, his mother dying. You know, when you get to be 81 and you recap your life, and I guess you recap your life on your birthday more than ever, you know, trust is a big thing. And, you know, people love old people in general because you give them the benefit of the doubt, you give them respect. My father is very charismatic. He really is. And uh, people gravitate to him. So, 
It was me and him at the restaurant. And then all of a sudden we're having a fucking party of 30 fucking people are there. So, you know, we sang to my, my father like five different times, happy birthday. First, it was the fucking basic when they brought it over. Then the owner wanted to come over. Then he met six other friends that sent the drink. I'm drinking the drinks because he can't drink the fucking drinks. And then other people, blah, 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 blah. Then he's selling them guns because my father sells guns now. He's, uh has licenses in Nassau and Suffolk. And he sells to ex-military, ex-police, ex-detectives. Obviously, you have to have a permit. Could he get your permit? Yes, but it's very hard to get a permit right now. You know, take a year or two. Uh, so normally he's catering to people who are familiar with guns. Guns are part of their lives. They either are detectives, you know, they're an ex-military, and they need them for their, you know, vocation, for their businesses, whatever the case may be. They carry a lot of cash around, you know, blah, blah. They have a lot of, you know, whatever, people in a diamond district, whatever. So those are the people that have permits that my father deals with. So for some reason, there are so many detectives that day at Puccinella. And my father is just telling story after story after story. Now listen, at 81 years old, half the stories are not true. They never happen. Now meanwhile, my father is saying this and that to everybody. Like, here's my pop. My pop is the type of guy that has to one-up you. So if you're a builder, he built the Empire State Building. If you have a boat, he's got a fucking 150-foot yacht. And the guy's fucking really super smart. So there's no way you could tell that half of the shit he's saying isn't true. It just, you can't tell. You can't fucking tell. I mean... He still can do the New York Times crossword puzzle 90% through. 90% fucking through. I mean, legit. So the guy's talking, and he's just a funny fucking guy. You got to love my father because he was like, you know, he was the mayor that day, and he's the mayor of Farmingdale anyway. Like, when he used to work out at the gym, be like a 20-minute workout. But he would be there for three fucking hours talking to everybody about everything. How's your mother? How's your father? How's your kids? I saw this. I saw that. And you fucking love him. You just got to give him a fucking hug. So he's talking to everybody at the fucking restaurant. Making up half the fucking shit. People are coming over to me and say, hey, did you know this? Did you know this? Now, meanwhile, I'm fucking, what am I going to blow him up? It's his fucking birthday. He's 81 years old. Guy can die that night in his sleep. I'm not going to burst his bubble. So, of course, I just nod because I don't want to get myself in trouble because God only knows what he told the fucking person. If I was in fucking involved, I didn't hear the story. I don't want to blow his fucking cover. So I'm just nodding to these fucking people. And, of course, I'm handing out my cards. You know, hey, do you gamble? Uh, what do you do? Blah, blah. And the people that go to Puccinella, the restaurant that I fancy, the restaurant that I go to four or five times a week, have fucking money. Have real fucking money. First of all, if you go to Puccinella, it's double the price of any restaurant in this area. You can't really compare the food to the other places because, of course, their food is so much better. Of course, their food pisses on the other food but you're not really comparing apples to oranges. Their food's twice the money. You know, when you go there to eat and you're going soup to nuts, you don't worry about money. You got money. So everybody there has fucking money. 
It's fucking crazy. You know, people got real money. You know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars they're making in their retirement. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they fucking have, they're sitting on two, three, four, five, ten, twenty million dollars. And they're just talking about new stuff they got into. And oh my God, everybody's rich. Everybody's rich. Not everybody, but, you know, 80% of the fucking people walking through the door rich. Because you got to be rich to go there, you know, three, four times a week. You know, you don't, you could go for a grand a fucking week in food, like I do. I'm going, you know, I go for a thousand or two thousand a week in food at restaurants. It's fucking expensive. There's no issue about it. You go to the best places, you got to fucking pay. So I'm handing out my cards and I'm trying to deflect like, oh my God, what fucking story did this, my father tell this fucking person? So let me just focus in. I nod my head about the stories, put a smile on and then try to pitch the person, you know. You bet, well, how much you bet? Do you bet? And every, everybody now bets, you know, everybody bets. Every, it's, you know, everybody fucking bets. So off of my father's insanity, I picked up a couple of good customers. So that was fucking nice. And I had one of the greatest meals of my life. And that was fucking nice. And then we saw the Clint Eastwood movie that night. And, you know, look, it's a fucking cheesy movie. You know, is it going to win any Academy Awards? No, but they were the real people that actually saved the lives of the entire train in France. You had some psycho with 300 rounds of ammo in France that was going to absolutely fucking kill the whole fucking train, probably shoot the fucking conductor, shoot the driver of the train, and God only knows how many people. So they had these three friends that grew up together, and they show the story, Clint Eastwood, uh, is the director, and he depicts how, from their youth, how they became friends when they were young, to they went into the military, to they went to tour Europe, and they were on this train, and they took down this brutal, disgusting man that was going to kill everybody. And it was a good story. And I liked it. And, you know, it's fucking Clint Eastwood. You gotta like anything Clint does. And it's a feel-good story. And it's my father's 81st birthday. So, fucking Pop loved it. He fucking loved it. So, uh, you know, just wrapping up my convoluted thoughts here. Trust is a big thing that I learned from my father. You know, you never trust anyone. You, they really gotta earn your fucking trust. Because, you know... The way I, some people are able to do it differently. They can trust someone with certain things, but not with others. I'm not like that. I'm like, I either trust you in my fucking life or I'll let you do things for me, but I don't fucking trust you at all. You know what I mean? Like, so if you do fuck up, I'm not really going to be let down because I didn't trust you in the first fucking place. You know what I mean? That's really how I work. So Pop taught me a lot about trust and a lot of trust issues that I have, haven't, my father has, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, in that movie, you know, my pop was so juiced up to see it. You know, big military, my father, you know, is in the army, you know, supports, you know, police, supports the army, loves Donald Trump. You know, my father fucking loves Trump. And uh, he got so pumped up for the movie. So it was great being with my father. It was great having fucking somebody alive at 81 years old that is your mother or your father. You know, I would like my mother and father together, but I'll take my father. And uh, just a lot of fucking fun being with him. Just tremendous fun. Now, I mean, we can recap the Super Bowl a little bit here where I would like to take Bill Belichick's face 
step on his face, rip his fucking heart out. And I personally believe, of course, it's a conspiracy theory. I believe he sabotaged the fucking Super Bowl. I believe that he's such a vindictive fuck. If you get on his bad side, you're dead forever. And something that Malcolm did got on his bad side. Now, obviously losing Brandon, their best receiver early in the game, buried the Patriots. And obviously, Malcolm Butler being benched for we don't know, nor will we ever know reason, buried them. But this, listen, the Eagles beat them, but the Eagles' defense is what you thought would be the key here, that they had so much better defense. And with two weeks to prepare, they were going to shut down the Patriots, but that's not actually what happened. Tom Brady fucking shredded them. He shredded them. And the Eagles on defense made one monster fucking play, gave them the Super Bowl. But getting back to Belichick, I would like to fight Bill Belichick in Rough and Rowdy 3. I really would. I'd like to smash his fucking face in because I believe that scumbag cost the Patriots, which I'm never on the Patriots. I'm always against the Patriots, but I was on him this year. And I, and I only wanted him to win by one. That was my bet, win by one, money line. Um, I believe that Belichick sabotaged the whole fucking thing because I believe Butler would have made a difference in the game. And I believe it also was a very, very bad feeling on the sidelines for the Patriots, knowing that Bill Belichick, this conniving fuck, benched him just out of spite. And I believe that that hurt the morale of the Patriots. I fucking do. Because if you're on the Patriots, you know it's going to hurt you, not help you, having Malcolm Butler only on special teams. That can never help you. If you're on defense, and even if you're on offense, and Tom Brady endorsed Malcolm Butler, really endorsed him, said this is a great player, a great teammate, a great friend, He's no longer with the Patriots, but if any other team wants to know how I feel about him, I'd fucking start him immediately. That was Brady. So I believe Belichick really fucked the Patriots here. I really believe that in my balls. So what I'd like to do, Barstool Sports, greatest company in the world, most talented company in the world, hardest working company in the world, funniest company in the world, most enjoying, most enjoying company in the world, I love them, bought Rough and Rowdy, and Rough and Rowdy is a bunch of psychos fucking going in a rink, 40 fights when they have these productions to murder each other. Some of them know how to fight, most of them don't. It's more like a spectacle, it's a lot of fun. And you know, Rough and Rowdy won, Hank beat Tex, which was a great fight. You know, Hank knocked him down several times, Tex knocked Hank down once, Hank was the victor. And then now, Rough and Rowdy 2, Smitty against the chef, Sean Latham, which is Barstool Heartland, Pat McAfee's right-hand man on the podcast. Sean also is a comedian and a very accomplished on his own. He's a chef. Smitty is part of Barstool Sports on the East Coast, so we got to love Smitty. 
you know, in our hearts, we're going to back Smitty. And he also breaks down Philadelphia. He breaks down the Eagles championship. Could be Smitty's year. And, you know, on paper, it looks like Sean's going to knock Smitty out. Smitty uh, is the dog in this. Latham, I think the line is a buck fifty, but you know, on paper, you know, he should be probably like five to one. Because it's gonna be really rough. Smitty's gonna have to fight a perfect fight. Sure, he could beat him. It's a fucking brawl. You get caught, you go fucking down. Nobody knows how their chins are. But uh on paper, it looks like, you know, the the favorite is gonna murder fucking Smitty. And I feel bad about that because I love Smitty. Uh, and I love Sean. You know, I know Sean probably more than Smitty. Because Sean, you could see his work. You know, he does videos with being a chef. He's great with a knife. You know, he's fucking pretty accomplished. And he's a big fucking boy. He's a big boy. I mean, I saw him next to McAfee this morning. He's a big fucking guy. Smitty, I don't see a lot of training from him yet, so I can't judge him. So we're just blindly with our hearts leading with Smitty. But the point with Rough and Rowdy and Rough and Rowdy 1, Rough and Rowdy 2, I want to be in Rough and Rowdy 3. I want to kill Bill Belichick. I'll knock the scumbag out. I'll knock this fucking conniving piece of shit out. Now listen, is he the greatest coach ever? Yes. Is he smarter than everybody else? Yes. But when you get to that level, spitefulness is part of your game. It really is. Because you've got to be deep and dark to be the best. And there's a bad part of Bill Belichick. You know? Really is. I mean, look, you don't really have to fucking be a rocket scientist to know that he's not the life of the party. No matter how funny he is behind closed doors, you're not going out and snorting coke with Bill Belichick. You're really not. You're not going to the massage parlor or the whorehouse with Bill Belichick. You're not going to Vegas with Bill Belichick. You're not going to the south of France with Bill Belichick. There'd be millions of people you'd rather be with than Bill fucking Belichick. I mean, truth be told. I mean, look at him. Look at him. He looks like an ugly Barney. I mean, the guy looks like an ugly fucking Barney. You know, he wears the half shirt similar to the Flintstones used to wear as their normal attire. And, I don't know, doesn't have any arms. His arms look fucking fat. Has no chest. You know, I mean, in his day was a good looking guy. He had the hair in his early, early years in the 80s. Good looking. Almost looks like a beetle. Literally. Looks like a poor man's, you know, the Beatles. Like that beetle haircut when he, when he had hair. But now, you know, guy's ugly. I mean, guy really, you know, doesn't like anybody. Now, when he did the two bills, that was fucking amazing. That was absolutely amazing. Parcells Belichick talking for an hour and a half. I watched it seven times. I fucking love it. Now, I love Bill Belichick, even though I will fucking kill him in the rink and rough and rowdy three if we can make it happen. I would like Pat McAfee, who Barstool Heartland, obviously the the punter for the Indianapolis Colts that retired and went to work for Barstool, you know, but he's a legend. He's a great punter. You know, he's an MVP punter. He's one of the greatest punters ever. So I would like Pat to train me to kill Bill Belichick. I really would because that scumbag cost, you know, me money and my customers, you know, probably it was millions of dollars, but Fuck money. I got so much money, it doesn't even matter. You know, I, all we lost is profits on the Super Bowl. We fucking had such an amazing year. You know, I, I was fucking incredible this year. Incredible. Incredible. But that's not the point. It's not about the money. Money means cock to me. I make money. I have a license to print money. I got fucking trees in my backyard that spew money. 
I got more money than fucking God. It's the principal. He's a scumbag. It's the principal. He's a spiteful bitch. And I can't stand anyone that's spiteful. If you're spiteful, you're fucking dangerous. If you're spiteful, you're not a good human being. If you're spiteful, it's one of the lowest things you could be. Because spite really hurts someone else. He cut off his nose to spite his face. He cut off his nose to spite his face. He fucked Malcolm Butler. He fucked the Patriots. He fucked it up. I believe that. I really fucking believe that. I really, really do. I really do. Because Nick Foles played a perfect game. You couldn't put Tom Brady into Nick Foles' shoes and ask Tom to do more than Nick did because you couldn't. Joe Montana couldn't do more than Nick did. He played a perfect game. It was a Phil Simms 1986 Super Bowl, 22-25, completing every fucking pass. And let me tell you something. Nick Foles threw the degree of difficulty on his passes with tens meaning one the easiest, ten the hardest, he completed five or six tens in the game. Normally, you complete one. Like Eli Manning completed one and won a Super Bowl. He completed another against Frisco in the championship game and then against the Patriots. Nick Foles had five or six inhuman throws. Perfect fucking throws. Throws that if you practice it a hundred times, you couldn't throw the ball any better. So, yes, that happened. Yes, Nick Foles had a perfect game, but I still think Bill Belichick's a fucking low life and a scumbag and he fucked me. So, we have a couple of new shirts right now at BeLikeStu.com. We have the 15-15-30, which is my MO. 15 minutes eating ass, 15 minutes licking clit, 30 minutes fucking. Uh, and it's a very clean shirt where it just says 15, 15, 30, and then my signature under it's too finer. So no one would know jack shit. You could wear it to church, synagogue, your kid's graduation. And we also have ready to roll! Ready to roll! Ready to roll! Ready to fucking roll! Shirts. Ready to roll shirts again. Very clean. So you can get over to BeLikeStu.com, and every day you could watch me on Snapchat. And obviously, Snapchat, I will start the day by rolling out of my house, saying hello to my daily news, which I read every day, still to this day, cover to cover. And then I walk down the driveway, pick up my fucking Newsday, and I read my Newsday, cover to cover, every day. Every day for going on 35 years. And then I say hello to my mailbox. I love my fucking mailbox. I love it. I love the mail. I love getting mail. I love mail! And I love my mailbox. And then I go and I take my first shit of the day in my bathroom. And I love my bathroom. And in 1990, my bathroom was a fucking big deal. Now it's not. But, you know, it was like a $25,000 mirrored fucking marble floor, pedestal sink, black bathroom. And in 1990, a lot of people didn't have that. You know what I mean? 1990, you weren't throwing 25 grand into a bathroom. You know, duplicate the bathroom right now, probably be like 100 grand, you know, whatever. So I take a shit in the bathroom. It's really fucking funny. And then I start my day. So on Snapchat, you can watch me every day. And it's fucking worth, it's worth the watch because I'm really funny. Give out free picks, give out analysis, 
You follow me to all the restaurants I go to, all the concerts I go to. It's fun. And then obviously Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You see my post every day. So you can follow me soup to nuts. So, you know, do this. Boy, fucking the 15, 15, 30. Boy, they're ready to roll. Get on BeLikeStew.com. Spend all your fucking money. I'm not fucking, I have no shame. I'm not proud. Spend your fucking money. Don't piss it away, gambling. Don't piss it away, buying people gifts. Fuck them. Fuck them. Give to me. BeLikeStew.com has everything. Okay? Plain and simple. So we're ready to roll! I fucking love you! Let's fucking go!